1: Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by CoSite experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein.
2: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here today. I got your IR producer. We have a very special guest, David Esser of Section 215 of Fansighted. He covers the Phillies and the Eagles for them. And then he also covers, he's the Sixers writer for Philly Sports Network. He's been featured on Bleach Report and does the Phillies podcast, Bullpen Blues Pod. David, how are you doing tonight?
3: Excited to be on, guys. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on. Obviously, it wasn't a super fun game to watch
4: tonight, but always down to talk some Sixers ball. Most definitely. He mentioned the game we are recording right after the Toronto loss. 110-103 was our final score. Um, 28 points from Ben Simmons, 25 and 17 from Embiid, though not his most efficient night um, scoring the basketball, only 13 from Tobias Harris. Some really great defense from the Raptors, who we we know have given the Sixers problems in the past. I believe this is 16 straight road losses in Toronto, in this case, Tampa Bay. And we'll go to you first, David. Um, What were your main takeaways from the Toronto game?
3: Yeah, I mean, that was a bit of an ugly one. and uh, You mentioned Nick Nurse, Toronto. They just give this team issues. I don't know what it is—if it's the defense they run, if it's just the the Kawhi flashbacks from from a couple years ago. But this is a team that's given Philly a lot of issues. I was encouraged by the way they started. You know, they jumped out to—I want to I wanna say it was a 14-point lead early on—and then they blew back, and then they. They stormed back late, and they got another double-digit lead. And I was like, fantastic. You know, this is a different Sixers team, even with Embiid not having a particularly great night. You know, Ben was being super aggressive. Curry was knocking some shots. I was like, all right, like, this is a team that's finally going to get over that Toronto hump, right? That, you know, especially because the Raptors were without Kyle Lowry. I was like, tonight's the night. It all fell apart at the end. Toronto's defense was stifling on Joel Embiid. The shots weren't falling. The free throws weren't falling. So definitely a frustrating one. You know, not... Not a super panic alarm game. I, I, I don't think overreacting to a loss like this is the correct way, but, but definitely a concerning one in the sense that this was not a game they should have lost tonight.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of missed shots in this game. It was not pretty. I mean, we talk about Curry, but he only went 2 of 7 from the 3-point line. Danny Green had the best 3-point percentage out of the starting 5. Tobias Harris went 1 of 9 besides Tobias Harrison, shake mill there weren't too many positives from three. Oh, and I guess Isaiah Joe, Joe, uh, Joe, but there wasn't too many encouraging signs shooting the ball and that, you know, it just got worse as this game went on. Like, like David said, it was great to see an aggressive Ben on the floor with a Joel and Joel, that length of that Toronto, they just packed it in on him. They were daring Philly to beat them from the three point line. And the thing is, the Raptors are so long and you got to give Masai Ujiri credit for, you know, bringing in long players because they can pack in the paint and then have enough length to recover on, uh, you know, kickouts to where those open three pointers against most teams aren't open against the Raptors. So you got to give the Raptors, you know, developing personnel that can bother outside three pointers, some credit there. That's for sure. Um, it was interesting to see that Maz wasn't really in the rotation tonight. That's that was a interesting development for sure. Isaiah Joe got more minutes than him, so that that should be. And I think I saw Keith tweet out after the game that Joe's going to be in the rotation over Corkmass for now. So we'll see how that works out.
4: Yeah, I think both of you made great points. The Sixers had multiple field goal droughts of over five minutes in this game. It's really hard to win a basketball game when you go halves of quarters without putting the ball in the basket, that's just not going to work out. Um, like you mentioned, David and Lucas, an aggressive Ben was probably the biggest bright spot tonight. He was easily the Sixers' best player, beat at 25, but on 6 of 20 shooting, it really was not a good game for the big fellow. one of his few bad games this season. Toronto deserves a lot of credit. They don't have a lot of size, really, with this group. Aaron Baines played some some solid stretches tonight, but they started small with Siakam at center. Chris Boucher got some minutes. That's normally a matchup you would think Embiid would would dominate, but the Raptors brought a lot of double teams. As you said, Lucas, they made the Sixers beat them with three-point shots, and those shots just weren't falling. Tobias, one of nine. Uh, the Sixers really have too many good shooters to lose games because of their shooting at this point. And it, it's been a pretty constant theme over the past couple of weeks. I think that's something they're going to really need to improve over, over time. Obviously more perimeter creation would help. That's something I, I I'm hoping there are addresses at the trade deadline, but really just not a, a great night offensively. The flow was not there. Embiid made a lot of great passes out of doubles, despite a pretty ugly stat line. Only, only two turnovers for the big fella and the Sixers just couldn't get the those shots to fall.
3: Yeah, Chris, and it, it's interesting you bring up the idea of the Sixers having enough shooting to beat these double teams, right? Because in theory, they do. The addition of Curry, the addition of Danny Green, albeit he's streaky at times. Tobias Harris has improved his jumper. Even a guy like Isaiah Joe off the bench. I think what's become very apparent with this Toronto team, right? And this is a team I don't think the Sixers want to see in the postseason is mm. there has to be a plan B outside of, Embiid kicking out of double teams, right? Because beat his passing has gotten very, very good this year. He's making the correct reads when they come in double team. The problem is when the shots don't fall. The shots don't fall, and that's what we saw tonight. The shots weren't falling, and very quickly this game escaped them at the end. So, wh- what's Doc Rivers' plan B, right? What is Daryl Morey's plan B outside of dump to Embiid in the post, kick out, and hope people make shots? Because if they're not making shots, this is just a brutal matchup for Philadelphia.
2: I'll tell you what the plan B is is that they need to trade for somebody that that's a specialist that can attack off the dribble in the mid-range because that shot was open most of the night. Anywhere from 15 to 18 feet, David, that shot was open and nobody was willing to take it, except for Tobias a few times. But as we chronicle, Tobias had a horrible matchup. This is not a this is not a Tobias friendly matchup because these guys are long enough. And strong enough to where his size advantage at the power forward position does not matter. And he got torn apart by Siakam on the offense on the defensive end. They need somebody that can consistently hit that three point that mid-range shot. Milton's not it. Tobias isn't in this matchup. They need somebody that can do that. Uh Joel wasn't in that this matchup either, because like I said, they just they have the length to bother joel i mean they're not super strong outside of Baines, but they have long arms that can bob that can get in joel's you know shooting motion and i think you bring up a good point they're now tied for fourth in the east with this win because now they're six and 15 16 and 15 this is not a team that the sixers want to see in the playoffs
4: i mean i think toronto got off to a lot a really rough start and a lot of people started to write them off i've been vocal on this pot in the past that i think toronto is going to get better they've they're on a four-game win streak, I believe. I think they've won something like 9 of 12. So they're, they're clearly heading in the right direction. I, I mean, this has been a good team for a while. They've had of this personnel around for a while. They know how to play together. Nick Nurse is one of the top-tier coaches in the league. And they're just a really smart, active team defensively. Again, that they're just a team that understands how to defend Philadelphia. And if the shooters aren't hitting shots, it's going to be really tough to win in a hypothetical series against this team but we can move on now and talk about the Bulls game on Friday night that's a game the Sixers won by a score of 112 to 105 I think the big takeaway from that game was Joel Embiid going for 50 points and 17 rebounds I'm sure we'll talk quite a bit about that but uh, David what were what were some of your takeaways from that game
3: yeah I mean that game was obviously far more fun to watch uh, in the career high at 50 points um but, you know, and I think you look at this game and a lot of people look at the 50 points, right? And they're like, wow, MVP performance. But with that said, they only won by seven against a Chicago Bulls team that hasn't been particularly great this season. I think that kind of bleeds into the Toronto Raptors argument where it's like, okay, we know Embiid's really good, right? We know we're going to get 20-ish points a night from Tobias Harris. And obviously, Ben Simmons wasn't playing, but that's somewhat irrelevant in this discussion. Who else can step up? Can Danny Green give you more in the starting five? Can Seth Curry give you more than nine points? Can Matisse Thibault give you more than two points in 37 minutes? Can your bench finally start to give you some production? The 50 points is great. That's so much fun. That's fantastic. It was a great night for Embiid. He was dominant. We get that. We've seen that year after year with Embiid that he can be dominant. But a seven-point win when your best player drops 50 is not really what you want to see from a team that's looking to contend
1: this year.
2: I, I totally agree. You, you asked the question, where else can they get help? You know, both Simmons and Shake were out that game.
1: So, guys, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Sixer Cents podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Did you hear me? 2 million men worldwide and today we have an exclusive offer for our listeners check it out 20% off plus free shipping with the code fansided 20 again the code fansided 20 at manscaped.com so if you're wondering what are some cool items that come in the package no pun intended the lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new perfect package which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free and smelling nice down there. In addition, the trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. So what are you waiting for guys? Stay trimmed and stay fresh for your wife or your significant other. Just use the code FANSIDED20 to get your 20% off and free shipping today. And now back to the pod.
2: I think we overhyped shake. I think we thought he was going to be a six minute of the year candidate. And he's just, he's not there yet. He's not consistent enough yet as a shooter, as a decision maker, not as necessarily as a passer, but decision on what type of shot to take. Uh, and we definitely saw that in this game a little bit. Tyrese Max, he's a rookie. He hit the rookie wall this game. Uh, in this game, I saw two thing two players play themselves out of the rotation in Maxi and Quirkmas, and well, I guess three if you count Scott. But we didn't even see Scott in that in the Toronto game, so that was interesting. But no, like I guess my yes, it brings you back to the question: is who can save the offense if Joel Embiid's having an off night? Ben Simmons tried against the Raptors; it didn't work. The Sixers didn't need it against the Bulls, but the, like you said, the Bulls are a 12 and 16 team. Like they're out of the playoffs right now. The Sixers should have won that game by a larger margin than just seven points. Granted, you know, Zach Levine had 30 points, but still, it shouldn't be that hard to, you know, the Sixers shouldn't need 50 points from Embiid to win that game. And they needed every one of those points. So and I think, David, you bring it up that. The Sixers might need to shop for another shot creator.
4: Yeah, I I agree with both of you. I I do think, on the Embiid note, the MVP award is narrative-based, as always. There are always games that people point to. Having something a game like this on his record could could help him down the stretch if he's still in that conversation. I I, I do think games missed will eventually possibly hurt him, but I, I do think that's a positive. But on the note of needing more help, the Sixers bench has been a hot mess for... A, a long while now. Uh, I don't think anyone thought it was good going into the season, but they've been particularly bad of late. Um, I mean, the Sixers are getting more than enough from Embiid. They've gotten some of the best basketball of Ben Simmons' career this past week. Tobias, more often than not, is giving them plenty. It's it's really they just need more outside those three guys. Like They're getting plenty from their top-tier talent. It's the bench, it's the supporting cast that hasn't been great. Danny Green has caught a lot of flack lately. He was not bad in the Chicago game. I don't think he was really terrible in the Raptors game either. He did foul out in 23 minutes. That's not ideal. But five steals, three of six from deep. He was a plus 18 in a game the Sixers lost by seven. He had some good moments. I don't think he's been quite as bad as people. think. I think there are some other players who maybe deserve a bit more blame than Danny's. But... In the end, I, I do think the main takeaway from these games is that the bench just has has to be better.
2: You know, Chris and David, I've been teasing Chris about this all season long. We can see how uh, Isaiah Thomas does in these, uh, you know, FIFA America games and uh, pre Olympic games, and maybe you know he could be our scoring spark off the bench. I joke, of course, because you know he's. I I think he might not be able to play on the NBA level anymore, but. A spark plug off the bench would would be nice, preferably a two-way guy. But if you can only get a spark plug that's consistent offensively, I'd take that at this point. Get somebody
3: like Lou Williams, even though he's having a down year. You know what I mean? Lucas, actually, I agree 100%. And the Isaiah Thomas thing, it's a little comical, right? Like He's probably not an NBA player at this point. But I don't <laughs> think the Sixers are going to be in a position where they need to trade away like multiple draft picks to improve the bench over the next couple of weeks. So many guys Mm -hmm. are going to be bought out, and the Sixers are going to be a top destination. Mm -hmm. Not only are they the number one seed in the East, but they have a bad bench, and veterans want to play. They want to win a championship, but they also want to play. So maybe you go out and you get a George Hill, right? A DeLon, right? You trade away a future first-round pick, attach a cork monster to the deal, whatever. You package Danny Green together and prove on that position. That's all fine. But I think Uh there's a very good chance you could bring in one, two, maybe even three veterans off the buyout market to come in and just completely overhaul the bench to where we don't have Furkan Korkmaz playing significant minutes. You can take Dwight Howard out at times. You don't ever have to use Mike Scott ever again. Like, I don't think it's as complicated as some fans are making it out to be where they're drawing up trade proposals where, like, three future first-round picks are involved. I don't think that's going to be necessary.
2: Uh, I think... Yeah, I, I I totally agree, and uh, you know I we when the Demarcus Cousins news came out yesterday that he's going to get bought out, I was like, he's an upgrade over Dwight, and you know he probably will go to a situation where he can play more like Brooklyn, Boston, maybe the Clippers, but you know those type of guys for sure buyouts are going to definitely happen this year. And we'll see for sure. But, you know, I look at the bench, and I don't see the bench as bad. I see the bench as young. It's a young bench. Corkmaz tied for the second longest uh, veteran player on the team, and he's in his fourth season. Take Mike Scott out of the rotation, and you really only have one guy that has more than five years of experience in the regular rotation in term, uh, off the bench in Dwight Howard because Milton's young. You got Maz, Isaiah Joe, who are young. I mean, it's a young team.
4: I, yeah, I'll, I will say this. It, it's definitely a young bench, but it, it's young and bad right now. And I think yeah. we've said multiple times in the past, you know, the Sixers are getting the best basketball of Joel Embiid's career. He's playing at an MVP level. You got to go for it. You got to give this team every chance they can to win while Embiid is at this level. Daryl Morey knows that. Morey is a notoriously aggressive dealer at the trade deadline. I expect him to make some moves. George Hill, DeLon Wright, Nemanja Bielitsa have all been reported. I'd like all those guys. You know, Redick would make a lot of sense if he's available for the right price. You mentioned the buyout market, David. I mean, I don't think Blake Griffin and DeMarcus Cousins are very realistic, but there are probably going to be some other veterans that the Sixers can get for, for a very reasonable price. So I do think the bench will be improved later on in the season, but right now it's just... Pretty unacceptably bad. Um, I mean, your best player of late has probably been Matisse, and he doesn't give you anything offensively. Milton is shooting like 30% from deep. That has to change. And you just don't have enough reliable offensive production to really take advantage of all the attention that Embiid is drawing.
2: You know, one guy that I would definitely keep an eye on in terms of buyout Trevor Reza. Yeah. He's just, he's just, he's not even playing for the Thunder right now. He has 12 million on the cap. For this season, wouldn't be surprised if he gets bought out.
3: No, I mean, he, he you think about what he brings in terms of just being able to stretch the floor, a veteran who's knocked down some shots. I'm all in on that. I don't want to get too off topic here, but something uh-huh. that's worked to me over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 days when talking about bringing in a backup point guard, I don't personally feel the Sixers gave Tyrese Maxey a long enough look at the position. Now, I fully understand he's a rookie, he's inexperienced. You don't really want to be walking into the playoffs with Tyrese Maxey as your main backup point guard. But, I mean, this is a guy who scored 30-plus in his first start, right? Like, this is a guy who showed immense signs of potential. And before we go shoot off a first-round pick for George Hill, who's, you know, maybe a marginal upgrade over Shake Milton, I would like to see Maxey actually get a little bit more run at the position. I wouldn't give up a first round pick
2: for George Hill. No way. I'd give him maybe one or two, but not, not uh, second round picks, but not a first round for sure. But no, I get what you're saying. I do think that they kind of cut him out, but Doc Rivers has never really been a huge rookie guy. I mean, you you see exemptions to that role. Glenn Davis, um, back when he was with the Celtics, Shea Gilgis Alexander, but for the most part, Doc Rivers does not like playing rookies. He barely played Avery Bradley who was a staple on multiple playoff teams when he was a rookie so it's just something that Doc does. I don't necessarily agree with it but and to be fair to Doc, Maxie does not have an outside shot. He's not great at creating for others yet. He's more of a head, puts his head, nose to the grind and just gets to the the paint and just tries to make something happen but I mean, and he's talented, but I think overall, you you definitely want somebody, you know, a little bit more experienced heading into a playoff or, you know, potential finals run. But I understand what you're saying. I wouldn't give up a lot to get that guy. So, David, I don't know if you recently saw, but Bill Simmons, he has his famous podcast, and he had Sixers legend Charles Barkley. He had a few comments about the Sixers. The first of which was that Charles was quoted to say, they, the Sixers, have to get to the finals to have a successful season. Do we? Do we agree with Charles's statement?
3: So I do not, and I'm fully aware that I am in the minority in this conversation. Right? Like we've seen, MVP and B. It's all about getting as much talent around him as possible. Going for it all now. I'm cool with that. Right? Do what you can at the trade deadline. Do what you can at the buyout market. I'd even be okay trading away some of the lesser used. Young talent, if that means bringing in guys who can immediately compete. But if they don't get to the finals, like what's okay? What's the big deal? That doesn't mean you trade Ben. That doesn't mean you trade Embiid. You still have both of them. They're both what? 26 and 24 years old. You still have Seth Curry on a super cheap contract. You still have Shake Millen on a super cheap contract. Matisse, the ball, is still going to be around. Tobias Harris is obviously locked up. Not a whole lot changes between this season and next season outside of the fact that Kevin Durant gets a little bit older. LeBron James gets a little bit older. Anthony Davis has a little bit of wear and tear on those knees. Like, I don't think the window is exclusively one year. I genuinely think this is a three- to four-year window. I'm fully aware, Embiid, he's big, he's tall, he might have some health issues down the road. But there's no reason to, I don't know, let's say you lose in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final to the Bucs, right? You take it all the way down to the wire, Giannis hits a crazy fadeaway jumper at the buzzer that's not a lost season. That's not a bad season. It's just a season where you were close. You know where you have to improve. You assume Ben Simmons continues to get better and better and better. I would not call it an unsuccessful season at all if they don't make it to the NBA Finals.
4: Yeah, I tend to agree. I'm not like a finals or bust kind of person. I think... Embiid having the best year of his career and the Sixers making it to the second round, ideally the conference finals, if they can get that far, I think that you could draw that up as a success and as an improvement over what they have been doing recently. Um, But at the same time, I I do think Embiid's window is a little volatile given his style of play and his history of getting banged up. And, I mean, it's just this team is at a point where it's, it's really hard to see them getting where they need to go without a big change. I don't know what that big change is going to be, but you you make a good point that teams are going to get older. The Sixers do have some young stars and some pretty workable contracts around them, so it's definitely a, a possibility that they can just continue to grow with this group maybe have some continuity for once. I know they've, they've flipped the roster around to bead like three, four years in a row now. If they go into a, a second straight season with the same starting five or a, a roughly similar starting five, that would be a first for Joe, essentially. So there's definitely some room for improvement. I don't think it's finals or bust, but I do think given where Embiid is at in his career, you should do what you can to, to win as much as possible. The Sixers are in win-now mode. They have... Spent all their money they've shelled out their major assets you got to do what you can so if a blockbuster trade is is available at the deadline i think you you make it so
2: another quote that uh barkley had was until simmons learns to shoot he's just going to be an all-star he can't be a superstar until he learns how to shoot the ball do we agree with uh barkley again on this uh
3: david I mean, I don't know, did he watch the Utah Jazz game? He was he was the, <laughs> the best player on the court. You, you could have combined Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and that wouldn't have been as good as Ben Simmons that night. No. Like, obviously, if Ben had a jump shot, he'd be LeBron James level good. He doesn't. That's okay. There, there's an avenue for success for him. We've seen it. We've experienced it. He's the best defender in basketball. He's one of the best passers. He's one of the best going to the basket. His free throw game has gotten sneakily better the last couple of weeks, which is super encouraging. Um, so, no, I, I think if he was on his own team, hypothetically, not that I would encourage that. Ben's untouchable for me. But if he got sent to Houston in that mega Harden package, everyone would consider him a superstar because he would do so much with that team with tons of spacing and the ball in his hand every single play. I think he – purposely alters his game a little bit to complement and beat more which again is the right thing to do and beats a better basketball player but I, I, he's dangerously close to that superstar level for me and again he's only 24 years old there's so much room left for him to grow
4: yeah i mean i think regular listeners of the podcast know my stance with regards to bench Jumper. I, I still do not care it like I could not care less about <laughs> this jump shot it, it really does not it does not weigh on my mind at all anymore it is a total non-starter for me uh, he's really good he's a top borderline top 20 player right now as is I've said it in the past I think Ben is who he is at this point if he's gonna take a leap it's gonna be with attacking the rim more consistently embracing contact going to the line. 10, 15 times a game, as he has done the past couple nights that he's been on the floor. That's where his leap is going to come from. He seems dangerously close this past week or two to taking a leap, a leap that I know a lot of us weren't confident in him taking. That leap is not going to involve a jumper. He's never going to be a good shooter. That's just not, it's out of the question at this point. I don't expect him to become one. He doesn't have the touch, he doesn't have the mechanics. And we're far enough into his career, I think, where we can just write that off. It's oh, wait,
2: kind of Chris,
1: fully- sorry to interrupt, but Chris, I, I, I don't know if you really answered the question, is can he be a superstar? Can he be a superstar? We understand you; it doesn't matter to you if he shoots, but can he become a James Harden level first name superstar, LeBron James superstar, someone that has their own shoe deal, right? Is, that's the real question.
4: Yeah, I mean, superstar is – it's kind of hard to define. Like, do I think he's going to be on James Harden's level ever? No. Um, Is that because he won't get a jumper? I don't know. I I mean, no, I don't think he'll be a superstar of that caliber. But I think he'll be a really good player. And as I I said, I think he still has room to grow without a jumper. But superstar, it it really depends on how you define superstar. If you're, like, top 20 players a superstar – then Ben might already be a superstar. So it just really depends on your definition of the word. I don't think he'll ever be LeBron James. I think that was a pretty unfair expectation to put on him when he came into the league. But he's he's really good as is, and he's looks like he might be getting even better right now.
2: So I'm going to say, Chris. I'm going to call. I'm going to call you on this. You pulled a Max Kellerman. But uh, but on a serious note, though. I'm gonna say no. I don't think he can be a superstar in the term. And when I think of a superstar, like Uriah said, like a first name type of guy, like a guy who can win MVP, that's who I think of a superstar. I do not think, especially while he shares a court with Joel Embiid, without that jump shot, he can be an MVP ca- candidate. He can be defensive player of the year. That's fine, but. Okay. Defense, uh, mvp caliber player that's what i when i think of a superstar i think of oh this guy has the potential to win an mvp in his career i do not believe that's ben simmons
4: okay i'll, I'll say this maybe maybe i pulled a max kellerman or whatever but i think we can just move on at this point from talking about the jumper like, we just need to talk about something else with him. He does so much on the court. It's like the fact that people keep going back to his jumper as, as something that is worthy of this discussion it, it is kind of bothersome to me. Hey, look,
1: when, when the playoffs come around and teams pack it in they, and they're going to shut him down like they've like it's happened in the past. We're going to be having the same conversation next year. It, it's just
4: It won't go away until he starts to shoot. Ben has had good playoff series, I mean, I don't think he's been consistently bad in the postseason, and there are like seven or eight guys who can viably compete for MVP in a given year in the league right now. Like, that's such a high bar to set. I don't know why the expectations that people are attaching to Simmons are still there. I mean, I think that's, I mean, frankly, we just might be thinking too highly of him. That might be the problem. Um, he, he's just not that kind of a player. Not very many people are, but he's he's really good and he's gonna be a multi-time all-star for the foreseeable future. I mean, he's gonna be a perennial all-star. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be in the defensive player of the year conversation. He's gonna help the Sixers win games in the playoffs with its defense and I think with his offense.
2: Ben Simmons reminds me more of a non shooting Draymond Green. Like with athleticism. Because that's that's basically what Ben's um, you know, you just-
4: I mean, they they don't. Play-
2: no, 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 no. I'm talking. To, I'm talking about like if be- if Draymond wasn't willing to shoot three pointers, which honestly he probably shouldn't be taking as many as he is because he's not shooting them at a high percentage. But like, and if he had athleticism, it'd be close to what Ben does. Now, granted, Draymond doesn't bring the ball up quite as often as Ben, but like, there's similarities there, and you know that would be probably the closest today comparison player that you can compare Ben to. Because Draymond's not gonna take over the game. That's not his style of play. And granted, Ben's much better around the basket than Draymond. I'm not I, I, there's obvious differences, but I, mean, I think you can expect
4: these more of a teams that Ben can take over the game. Like I, I just think they're vastly different players. I understand where you're coming from, but they're different defenders. They Ben handles the ball far more often. He's a much more capable, like lead ball handler. Mm-hmm. And he's Frankly, a much better scorer than Draymond ever was and could ever dream of being, even if he doesn't have that three point shot. So,
2: I mean, I'm, I'm what I'm What I'm trying to say is we got to stop expecting him to be a LeBron James, but be a James Harden, a star in his role. Yeah. Like a player that's a superstar in his role. And that's what Ben is. He's a superstar in his role, but he's not a superstar as in what you would deem a superstar in the NBA.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think I agree. Like Ben was the number one pick. He came in with all the LeBron comparisons. He you was know, training with LeBron. You know, Magic Johnson, six ten can pass. And I think people have really clung tight to those expectations when it's clear that that's just not who he's going to be. But he's again like a top twenty player. He's really good, so I'm happy. Yeah.
3: Before we move on, real quick, I got I got to back up Chris for a second. Uh, first of all, I think the Draymond comparisons a little a little slanderous to Ben Simmons. Uh I'm sorry. <laughs> just just to point out real quickly, it was Ben Simmons who made the All-NBA team last year. It was not Joel Embiid. As great as That's Joel true. has been this year, I think we're seriously negating just how dominant Ben has been over the last couple of years. I remember specifically it was a playoff game against the Brooklyn Nets uh, when Embiid was out, and Ben just took over. It was, I believe, a 30-point triple-double, so clearly the best player on the court. You saw how bad Philadelphia looked last year in the Boston series without Ben on the court. They couldn't set up their offense. They couldn't defend. Their rebounding was bad. Their ability to steal and block shots was disastrous. And then you see Ben this year. You see him against the Jazz, where that wasn't just a good game. That was LeBron-esque takeover, Magic Johnson, whatever comparison you want to throw. He has that in him. Now, is he ever going to be the James Harden, Kevin Durant of the world? Probably not. But is he going to be a Scottie Pippen? I think so. You know, a guy who's so good at his job. To where he can win championships, I absolutely think so. Again, he's only 24 years old. Could he be a Clay Thompson esque player paired alongside Steph Curry? Absolutely. Now, obviously, you know, Clay's a shooter, Ben's not, but I'm saying that type of complementary superstar, where he's yeah. not James Harden, he's not LeBron, but could he be the Anthony Davis to Joel Embiid? If that makes sense, could could he be that type of player? I, I think we're pretty much already there. It's just about continuing to get the surrounding pieces around Ben and Joel so they can just thrive together. You mean a superstar in his role? I mean, like, a, a, a 1B. He's never going to be the 1A. If that's, if that's the ceiling we've put for him, I don't think he'll get there. Will he be a 1B? You know, like on most teams, <laughs> Ben would be the best player on the court by a landslide. But I think the fact that he plays with Embiid is always going to put him in that 1B category, which is still, in my opinion, well worthy of that number one overall pick.
2: Fair enough, guys. But let's, let's go ahead and move on. I got one more thing from that podcast, that Ringer podcast. Do we agree with Bill Simmons when he said that the Brooklyn Nets are the team to beat in the East, or Barkley, who believes the Sixers are the team to beat in the East?
3: Uh, yeah, I, th- I still think it's Brooklyn again. Even with Durant and Kyrie, they're going to be a problem. Not a single one of us expected them to add James Harden to that mix. Uh, you know, I know there's all sorts of complaints about chemistry, ball, do they have enough defense, who cares? They have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant on the same team. As far as I'm concerned, that's, that's the team to beat right now.
4: Yeah, I mean, Chuck, Chuck is, is great, but, uh, I mean, it's it's pretty clearly Brooklyn for me. Um, Milwaukee might even be a shade above Philadelphia, as I've said in the past in my book. Uh, I know the Bucks have been struggling of late, but the Nets have one of the greatest offensive trios of all time. I get two, in my mind, top five players in the NBA, and Kyrie, who's just nuts, playing out of his mind right now. So, it, it's... Brooklyn by a pretty significant margin in my book.
2: I I agree that it's Brooklyn too. And I'm not you know what? Brooklyn's figuring it out. Kyrie said that James Harden's the point guard, which he should be, because he's the better passer and more willing. Kyrie gets the score, gets the i I I don't hate Kyrie Irving, but he is a ball hog. Like he 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 he's the Kyrie Irving show. I feel like Terrible comparison, but the closest one that I can think of, think of Stefan Marbury with a jump shot and that's what I think of Kyrie. Like Kyrie Irving is that type of guy who wants to take almost every shot. Lucas, come on. Are we, you I mean we, I'm I'm we not have, saying that he's not great, but he we, reminds me somewhat of like Stefan Marbury with the Knicks, like where he wants to take every single shot.
4: Kyrie is one of the most gifted isolation scorers of But does
2: he win games by he he, but the thing is he needs to be with a superstar or else he doesn't win games his style play does not win games when he's not with another superstar
3: aren't Harden and KD superstars
2: I mean yeah but it works now I'm just saying when he was in Boston or before LeBron came back to Cleveland he doesn't win games but that's not the point here my my point is is that the Nets are figuring out they're probably going to get to Marcus Cousins let's be real it's either going to be the them, the Celtics, who I see could be like a big upgrade for him, too, or the Clippers, and I honestly think the Nets make the most sense for him because he gets the opportunity to start there for sure. He'd probably have to come off the bench the other two places.
4: I mean, yeah. look, I don't think DeMarcus Cousins starting on, on any team is a good idea. He's, he really hasn't been that good this season, but... He would get probably the most playing time in Brooklyn. I I will come to Kyrie's defense again. He's averaging like 28 and 6 on insane efficiency right now. He does a lot of pretty things in isolation because he's really good at it, and that's an effective use of a possession. I don't think anyone in their right mind was really questioning whether Brooklyn would figure it out offensively. Like Harden has never been a, a selfish player. Houston yeah, of course. Not. Through him, Houston set up their offense to revolve around him. But Harden is one of the most gifted and willing passers in the league. Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. Kyrie has, has like that Cleveland team before LeBron got there was just it was a bad roster. And Kyrie, what about uh, Boston? Really We've seen him cede possessions to LeBron and be a really effective number two there. Boston had chemistry issues, but like that those teams were also for the most part, really good teams. So I I think Kyrie gets more flack than he ought to, because he maybe says some questionable things here and there, but like
2: agree to disagree there. I'll give you the the Celtics were an awful team before LeBron got there, but I just don't, I I just don't think Kyrie can turn around a franchise by himself.
4: That's fair. And we're going to move on now and talk about some impressive numbers um, from recent Sixer players. Um, We'll start with Matisse Thybul, who defensively has been on a tear of late. He's one of just four players in the league with at least 40 steals and 20 blocks this season. He's only played in 461 minutes. The other three players on that list have played over 700. So, David, what what do you make of Thybul's defensive proficiency this season?
3: You know what? And this somewhat circles back to our conversation on if they should be win now, if they should keep their window open a little bit. There was points over the last couple of games where I was watching Matisse and I was like, he might be untouchable for me. Um, As much as I want to immediately upgrade this roster and get an elite shooter. Imagine if Matisse learns how to shoot the ball in like 16 months. He'd be one of the best D and three players in the NBA. His defense is already that advanced. He's the type of guy that I would really prefer to keep on the roster and just continuing to develop because even even the jump he took from last year to this year defensively it's impressive the man is really really good at defense if they can just figure out that jump shot he'd legitimately be a starting caliber player
2: so it's funny that you say that for two reasons one uriah is our biggest ap-
1: oh, matisse apologetic here uh, i am the, right here <laughs> yeah yeah
2: you're, the, you're <laughs> our biggest
1: of matisse apologetic
2: that keep singing I that, that
1: song david i like that song uh,
2: Secondly, I actually did write about how he was a jump shot away from being a starter. I, you know, he honestly, I think he already makes Danny Green more expendable than Danny Green was. I mean, don't get me wrong. Danny Green is still a much better shooter. But if Matisse, and I said this on our last podcast, if Matisse can make two three-pointers a game on around like 36% shooting from downtown... Danny Green becomes automatically tradable. You put Matisse in the starting five. End of story. And the Sixers have a top five defense, uh, at least in the starting five. Yeah. Because after Matisse and Ben, perimeter defense really kind of... Well, I mean, I guess you still got Danny Green, but after Danny Green, the defense goes down sharply on the perimeter. Yeah, But yeah, no, those numbers are absolutely insane. And... He's making a case. He's probably one of the few players I would say in the league that, despite not getting a lot of minutes, is making a case for a defensive, all defensive team.
4: I, I, I do agree with both of you. Um, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's untouchable uh, like you, David. I will say this, though, though I had my moments of doubt early in the season, as both Lucas and Uriah will attest to. I, I have come around on the fact that Matisse is just an insane defensive prospect and the Sixers probably aren't going to get enough on the market to really make a trade worthwhile. Like I don't think they would get a good enough player in the short term to really tangibly alter their championship odds. So I, I would hang on to Matisse pretty tightly unless there was a no brainer deal out there. Um, he, he, he is Bradley just, Beal. <clears throat> I mean, if so, the Wizards are like, here's Bradley Beal, all we want is Matisse Stiebel. then. All right. Yeah. But um, (laughs) look, Matisse is great on defense. The fact that he, he does absolutely nothing good on offense is really tough with how this team is built. Um, When you're running it through Joe and Ben, who are two very like paint centric players, it's, it's a tough, tough look, but he's so good defensively that I I do think it's worth giving him time to try to figure out that jump shot. And I, I agree. I don't think they should be actively looking to trade him at the deadline. And the, the next players on our, our stat list here are Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, who are well on their way at this point to maybe being in the 50-40-90 club. Uh, David, do you think both of them or one of them can, can keep it up and make it? And what, what do you think of their efficiency so far this season?
3: Uh, maybe Seth could. Um, you know, he's cooled off a little bit since contracting COVID, which is a completely, like, expected result. Um, you know, Tobias obviously... For whatever reason, tends to really like playing for Doc Rivers. But uh, yeah, I think 50-40-90 is definitely achievable for Seth. In general, I'm a fan of both players. I'm happy they're on the roster. I know Tobias is wildly overpaid for what he brings. But considering the fit alongside Ben and Joel, he's pretty much that perfect third complementary star. And bringing in Seth, I mean, I've tweeted about it a handful of times. I have no idea what Dallas was thinking in that trade. That is one of the worst trade deals I've ever seen. Josh Richardson is bad. Like he's actively bad at basketball. This has nothing to do with the fact that he blocked Twitter. That is, this is not it has anything to do with that. This is independent. Um, now I have no idea what Dallas was thinking. I'm happy with both players. Seeing them just in the mix for that 50 40 90 is pretty much what Daryl Morey, you know, envisioned this offseason.
2: Wait, wait, wait. I have to ask, when did Josh block you on Twitter?
3: Yeah, so I take full credit for running him out of town. Um, I, I maybe said he, paper, I maybe said he had paper hamstrings at one point last year, and I think oh somebody, no, somebody added him in the tweet, and he saw it. Yeah, he, he blocked me, so I can't see his tweets anymore. But you know, it, it, it is what it is.
2: You're not wrong that he is playing horrendous on offense <laughs> for the for the Mavericks. Um, I think we both, me and Chris were both ecstatic about that trade on draft night. Cause we did do a podcast late after the, actually in the second round of the draft after that trade. Um, but yeah, no, I think Curry is more likely of the two just because for his career, Tobias has been around about 82% free throw shooter and he's about there right now. So I don't see that really jumping up to 90 Curry is one of the most efficient shooters in the NBA. Uh, like you said, COVID's really slowed him down. But even so, you know, eventually he should be able to get back to where he was. And I just, I think it's possible for Curry. I think he has, he has the genetics for it. And like I said in the last podcast to quote Stephen A. Smith, you can't doubt Curry. That's my best Stephen A. Smith impression. It's terrible, I know, but
1: <laughs> really bad. you gotta gotta leave that off the pod man that's the last time you're banned from ever (laughs) (laughs) impersonating
2: don't ban me but I won't do it again fair enough but no seriously though you can't doubt Curry's they they're they they have shooting in their genetics I think Curry's the obvious choice here because I don't think Tobias is going to be able to get that free throw percentage back up
4: yeah, I, I think Curry's the much more likely candidate to end up in that club. Uh, I, I will defend Dallas in the sense that I thought it made a lot of sense when the trade was made. Obviously, Josh has not played very well this season, so that, that deal looks really lopsided in Philadelphia's favor right now. But if you're Dallas and you, you're thinking, hey, that Sixers roster was a really poor fit, it wasn't a good use of Josh's skill set, he can play more off-ball this season next to Luka, He was a pretty efficient three-point shooter, even in Philly and especially in Miami. He's a very tough, gritty defender. That's something Dallas really lacked on the perimeter last season. Like I I understand the logic. Uh, Josh is still a wonderful person, uh, a fun guy to root for, uh, barring barring a Twitter ban. But, um, yeah, I I think the Sixers have pretty clearly uh, won that deal so far. And we're going to talk last but not least, of course, about Joel Embiid. He's averaging roughly 30 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.3 blocks. He's shooting 54% from the field, 40% from deep, 85% from the line, where he uh, is a frequent visitor. And he has a 32 PER, which is a pretty insane number. So, David, what have your takeaways been with Embiid's stat line so far this season? And do you think he is the, the MVP right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot to say about Embiid, right? Like, outside of this recent Raptors game where he wasn't so great, he's been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, looks like an MVP. He's playing like an MVP. His physical conditioning is in MVP shape. My biggest concern with the MVP discussion, because if, if I were to pick, all biases aside, I would pick Joel Embiid. My biggest concern is, are we going to see some crazy narrative run for LeBron James at the end of the season? Because we all know it's coming. We all know oh. the media absolutely loves lebron um that's my biggest fear i don't think it'll be the production that'll hold lebron back i just think it'll be the narrative of lebron having to play without anthony davis or the fact that he's 36 years old whatever they decide to orient it around that's my biggest fear within being not securing the mvp this year
4: yeah i i have to jump in and say this what are we doing with all the lebron mvp hype right now it Blows my mind. It makes zero sense. Like I understand that LeBron is, is great. He's the best player in the league. He's having a wonderful season. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but he is not like first, second, or probably third on my ballot if I had to make one right now. Like Who's your Gu- third, maybe ahead of him, Damian,
0: oh, okay. Steph,
4: Jokic. Yes, I mean, third he's playing out of his mind ahead right now. Ballot right now. Like LeBron is five or six. I I, I don't know why. He's getting the love that he's getting. It's, I, I wrote an article recently about this, and I basically compared it to, like, Leo winning the Oscar for The Revenant. Like, it was a fine performance. Kudos to him. But that's totally a makeup for, like, not giving it to him for Wolf of Wall Street or something. Like, LeBron deserves yeah. more MVPs than he has right now. But this this is not the season to give it to him unless something changes pretty drastically. Um, obviously, a lot of basketball left to be played. We might be singing a different song when the season comes to an end. But like LeBron's not the MVP. I don't understand why he's number one on everyone's list. I, I think Embiid, Curry, Jokic, is, especially those three, are all ahead of him by like pretty comfortably in my book. I know Denver's not winning enough games right now. So Jokic is maybe faltering a bit, but come on. I don't get it. So these numbers tell me that Joel Embiid's the most dominant big man
2: since Shaquille O'Neal, and that in terms of they can't stop him inside the post. And on top of that, Shaq needs to give the nickname Superman to to Embiid. But in terms of overall MVP, and I, I listened to uh Zach Lowe today, uh, one of his podcasts when they were talking about the MVP. The only knock that they can have against Embiid is his besides you know, games missed, is his assist to turnover ratio, where he has more turnovers than assist, which I think we can all agree turnovers, despite them not being as bad as they were in years past, he's still having problems with turnovers. Um I, that being said, and, and you know, you got to look at those Nick Picky because it is a very close, probably the closest race since 2017 when, and you know, Blow talked about this in his podcast too, when it was between Harden, uh, Westbrook, Kawhi, and LeBron. Is Joel my favorite right now? That is a tough one. He is definitely in my top three. I don't have a favorite right now. It's t- still too early in the season. I like joel i like Jokic. i definitely like curry i like actually i like lillard more than i like curry believe it or not um if if dallas starts winning more then luka has to be put in there um lebron obviously what he's doing at 37 years old is just unbelievable um and that's where that narrative comes in yeah
4: narrative like his age doesn't matter that's not part of the it's not like how impressive of your stat line relative to your age that shouldn't be part of the conversation
2: but that the, but the, uh, you, you know I think it's part of the you know he should have more than what he does cuz Kobe Bryant only had one but let's be real guys Kobe Bryant should have at least 3 or 4 yeah may, uh, god rest his soul Makeup. but i you know maybe the maybe the media is trying to make up for that i don't know
4: yeah i mean look lebron is a- Again, a, a fantastic basketball player. I I understand. That. I I'm not trying to undersell what he does, and the fact that AD is going to miss four weeks maybe is a pretty big blow, and he's going to have to do a lot over that span. But like,
2: Joe, let me tell you something: if the Lakers are still above 500, like still winning more than half of their games during that stretch when AD's gone, I'm pretty sure the media is going to give it to him.
4: Yeah, look, if I had to guess who's going to win right now, I'm, it's probably LeBron. But yeah. Steph is putting up numbers that are comparable or better to his unanimous MVP season. Yes. having one of the most dominant dominant and efficient offensive seasons ever, scoring the basketball. Jokic is just, like, out of this universe, Although, albeit Denver's, like, at 500. But, you, uh, you know Damian Lillard? Lillard, caring, Aaron, Giannis, Hawaii, Durant, Harden. There's so yeah. many games that that are going to be in this conversation that I think are on or above LeBron's level right now in the regular season, not saying I'd take them over him in the postseason, but like yeah,
2: come on, yeah, for sure, but let's uh, i I think it's time for us to get to our last subject here before question of the week, so the sixers are first in the east, but they have a losing record to teams above five hundred. Is this a concern for you guys moving forward
4: uh
3: Not yet, not yet for me personally. I think it's too small of a sample size. I don't know off the top of my head how many teams they've played above 500, but it's not a drastic number. Uh, If that sustains all the way to the very end of the season where they've played 50, 60 games, yeah, that's a concern. But as of right now, I'm not too concerned. Embiid looks really good. Ben's looked really good when he's playing. Tobias looks really good. You know, Curry looks like a nice piece. Obviously, the bench needs improving, but that will happen eventually. Uh, For the most part, I'm kind of looking at how does the team look? How does the fit look? How does Doc Rivers look coaching this team? I've been encouraged by all of that. I'm not too worried about this split versus that split, road wins versus home wins. It, I think it's too early to make you know huge claims over those types of numbers.
4: Yeah, I'm not I'm not panicking either. I, I do think it's a concern. I, I mean, the Sixers have pretty much the same problems now that they've had forever with Embiid sans the the Jimmy Butler stint and that like. There's no one who can really dribble and reliably create in the half court outside of Joe and Ben, who we know have have specific flaws. The bench isn't very good, et cetera, et cetera. How can they execute down the stretch? Are turnovers going to be an issue? Like, they're great, great production out of Embiid and, more recently, Ben. But it's just, do they have enough outside of those guys to... To really compete against the best of the best when the pressure's on. Um, I don't know yet. Again, I don't think the Sixers are favorites in the East. They're a really good team, but they're gonna have they're gonna have to make changes um, at some point and make improvements if they really wanna evolve themselves to that that top tier.
2: The only team I'm concerned about that they've lost to for five hundred over a five hundred record recently is Portland Trailblazers, and I doubt we'll see them if we get to the NBA Finals because for some reason, Portland has the Sixers number. But um, overall, no, I'm not concerned yet uh, for all the reasons you guys mentioned. Mainly the bench needs to improve, and we'll definitely see that uh, around and after the trade deadline, buyout market. Um, If we can get that third star that can create his own shot in the half court, awesome. I think Zach Levine is definitely – a guy to keep an eye on. I think we could probably have him if we offer up Tyrese Maxey a couple of first, or Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxi, and I'll or both
4: of them. I mean, huh? Both of them. If it if the price for the is like Danny Green, Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton, and a pick or two, I'm gonna oh, yeah, do it. A huge Levine fan, but like easy. Pay, I would do that. Hundred percent. I, I, yeah, I, I would do that. I'm way too attached to, to Tyrese right now.
3: Yeah, yeah I sure. know. I just went on that whole rant about how I don't think we should be all in. But if you can get Zach Levine without giving up Ben Tobias or uh, or Embiid, yeah, you do it. Like three first-round picks, Tyrese, like whoever, Matisse, do you want him? That's fine. Uh, I'm like super high on Zach Levine.
2: Yeah, for sure. But I think, Uriah, it is time for our question
1: of the week. Sure. So the question of the week, Lucas, is actually it's more of a task to give all the followers on the Sixer Sense – Website and social media. And we gave the audience a chance to rank all the important aspects of Joel Embiid's game. We know he's having an MVP caliber season. So we looked at five particular things that Embiid is doing well this year. And the list goes like this A, passing out of double teams, B, drawing fouls, C, stretching the floor, D, protecting the rim or E, mid-range shooting. Now, I'm not going to sit here and go through all the different letters that all the people chimed in on social media, but there's a few comments that I'll read that I found interesting. So Lamar Bookman, he pretty much isolated one thing important to him. He said, gotten much better at passing out of the double team, but I would say free throws, also making them at 85% and getting the opposing team in foul trouble. Justin Lowry no relation to Kyle Lowry. I'm sure about that, Lucas. He said, drawing fouls, great players get to the free throw line. That said, I'm really impressed with his improvement on A. So, David, why don't we just give our maybe top two because there's there's a lot to go over. So, David, give us your top two aspects to Joel Embiid's game.
3: Sure. Um, and this is completely Coincidental, but my top two is exactly how you have it listed out: passing out of double teams being number one, and drawing fouls being number two. Uh, in the past, double teaming was just the way to stop and beat teams. Did it? They did it frequently. They did it in the postseason, and it almost always hurt him. He's improved on that greatly. I mean, you saw it tonight. The shots weren't falling, but his he had a couple cross court passes against the Raptors, where I was just stunned at that he could even do that. That is not something he's ever shown capable of in his career so the better he gets at passing out of the double teams a more players are going to get open shots and b teams are going to start doing it less um and then obviously drawing fouls uriah like you said with whoever commented that is get to the free throw line that's free points and he's a very good free throw shooter he's always been a good free throw shooter it's just free points for a guy who's normally getting beaten up down low you give him a couple you know a couple seconds breather just knock down two easy free throws. always been a fan of that asset of his game
4: Yeah, so I I do agree that passing out of double teams has been a big improvement for Joel this season. It's been a big part of his leap. Um, As far as efficiency shooting-wise, he's shooting 40% from three. He's been off the charts from mid-range. That's been a big part of his 30 points per game. But I I think the two best aspects of his skill set on this list are going to be D, protecting the rim, He's still pretty much the anchor of the Sixers defensive system. We talk a lot about Ben and the defensive player of the year ranking and all that he does on ball. and Ben deserves all the recognition that he gets. But Joel is just a remarkable defender in his own right. Holds down the fort far more than Ben, I think, as far as overall team performance defensively. He's much more important. And drawing fouls, that's where like half his points come from oftentimes these games is he's getting to the line like 14 15 16 times a night and he's hitting them as you said uh david at at an 85 percent rate um he gets other teams in foul trouble he collapses the paint he's just a remarkably smart scorer in isolation on the block from mid-range pump fakes he knows how to compromise defenders and I, i really think those are the two that i would isolate
2: Yeah, Chris, you stole mine, man, because I was thinking those two exact things. His ability to draw fouls is one of the best in the league, on par with James Harden. And then his defense is, you know, has kept him in the defensive player of the year conversations and what is this, his fifth season playing now, so three out of – well, I guess four out of five of his years playing for the most part because outside of last year, I mean, in his rookie year, he's been in that conversation for Defensive Player of the Year each year. And as Chris has elegantly put it uh, multiple times on this podcast, Joel Embiid is his own defensive scheme. So, yeah, I agree, Chris. I think totally his defense and his ability to draw fouls make him one of the most unique big men in the NBA.
4: David, uh, we really appreciate you coming on the pod this week. Uh, we, we really enjoyed it. We'd, we'd love to have you on again in the future. And just to let everyone know again where they can follow you on Twitter, it's at David Esser, E S S E R underscore. And then again, he's the editor, inside expert over at Section 215. They have some wonderful Philadelphia sports content over there. We highly recommend that you check out that site. They are also part of the Fan Sided umbrella. So, They're essentially sports writing family over there. So we really would suggest that you go check out his writing there. He's also the lead Sixers writer at Philadelphia Sports Network. He's been featured on Bleacher Report. And you can check out his Phillies podcast um, at Bullpen Blues. And, yeah, David, thanks for coming on. Yeah, hey, fellas. Thanks for having me. Always a blast talking some Sixers. I really appreciate you all bringing me on tonight. Appreciate it too, buddy. We, we loved having you. We would love to have you on again in the future. And to all our listeners, as always, we really appreciate you giving us the time of day, the time of week to talk Sixers basketball. There's a lot going on still in the country. And, you know, it means the world to us that, that we're part of your day and part of your week. And we have some exciting guests in line for the future episodes. We'll have more Sixers content with you. In the middle of the week, and we will see y'all next time.
0: BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code Champion150. Then,